Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian book reviews contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Georgina Arnott and I'm assistant editor at ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or $60 for print plus online. Greetings, ABR podcast listeners. This is Peter Rose, editor of ABR, here to remind you about the 2023 ABR Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize. Now in its 13th year, and worth a total of $12,500, the Jolly Prize is for an original work of short fiction of between 2,000 and 5,000 words. Full details appear on our website. You have until April 24 to enter the Jolly, one of the world's leading prizes for a new short story. Good luck. In the aftermath of the May 2022 federal election, the Australian media has chewed over what it sees as its two biggest outcomes, Scott Morrison's spectacular downfall and the election of a group of independents known as the Teals. In the January-February issue of ABR, Mark Kenny reviews Nikki Savard's book, Bulldozed, which deals with the first of these meaty subjects. Three new books have been published to help explain the second. In this week's ABR podcast, Dennis Altman reads his review titled Teal Talk, Exaggerating the Independence Revolution. For Altman, the media's concern with the Teals borders on an obsession, blinding them to other cross-currents in the Australian political landscape. Here is Dennis Altman with Teal Talk. Teal Talk, Exaggerating the Independence Revolution One of the byproducts of every election is the instant analysis, often in the form of small books that read like extended newspaper articles. The success of the Teals at the 2022 federal election has already produced extensive speculation about whether this signals a sea change in Australian politics. In the new books, both Margaret Saville in The Teal Revolution, Inside the Movement Changing Australian Politics, and Tim Dunlop, Voices of Us, The Independence Movement Transforming Australian Democracy, offer a rosy-eyed view of what happened in May 2022. Australia, writes Dunlop, voted not for change in individual seats, but for a major realignment of the way in which our political system worked. Australia, of course, did no such thing. In most electorates, the choice was between the major parties. Their share of the vote may have fallen, but they still retained 90% of seats in the House of Representatives, with a much smaller percentage in the Senate. Many of us are tactical voters, well aware of the preferential system. And much of the Greens' vote is in fact a vote that flows to Labour and also sends a message that Labour should move to the left. For many commentators, the high point of the May election was the rise of the Teals. Even the Australian National Dictionary Centre has declared teal, the colour originally adopted by Zali Stegall, the word of the year. That Labour won government with less than a third of the primary vote owes much to the teals, who captured seven of the wealthiest electorates in Australia, swelling the crossbench to an unprecedented 16 members. Impressively, as Simon Holmes' court makes clear in the big teal, 
the Teal candidates were chosen by enthusiastic community groups within their electorates and raised considerable resources beyond those he himself funded through his Climate 200 organisation. Labour lost a few seats to the new wave. Griffith swung Green and Dilay, whom neither Savile nor Danlop discuss, won a remarkable victory for local voices in the once safe Labour seat of Fowler. Adam Bant and Andrew Wilkie hold seats that will otherwise go to Labour. But Labour also picked up a number of seats in middle-class urban Australia. Benelong and Reed in Sydney, Chisholm and Higgins in Melbourne, Boothby in Adelaide and Four in Perth. Only in Greater Brisbane do the Liberals hold a significant number of metropolitan seats. Holmes Accord claims that climate change cost the Morrison government at least nine seats, seemingly ignoring these gains by Labour. Neither Savile nor Dunlop bother with the rural independents who lost, but who were profiled in Margaret Simmons' excellent article in the April issue of the Monthly. Other than Bob Catter, all of the crossbench can be thought of as progressive, at least in comparison with the official opposition. That number includes four Greens, whom Savile prefers to ignore in her tunnel vision of Australian politics. Yet the success of the Greens last year was arguably as significant as that of the Teals. Not only did they capture three seats in Brisbane, they also now have ten senators, which makes them a decisive voice in whether legislation is passed. Here Savile echoes the mainstream media, whose obsession with the Teals meant they consistently ignored the growth of Green support, perhaps because Brisbane was alien territory for interstate reporters. Even where Savile recognises a key issue for the Greens, namely pressure on renters, she managed to slide past the inconvenient fact that the issue hardly featured in any of the Teals' campaigns. Dunlop argues that the media were hostile to the Teals. This was certainly true of the Murdoch press, but not of the Fairfax newspapers or of the ABC, both of which gave enormous coverage to the Teal Independents. And Holmes Accord has chronicled the absurd and offensive attempts by the Australian to smear Teal's candidates as anti-Semitic. The Greens present a problem for the Teals. There is something disingenuous in Holmes Accord claim that the candidates he supported represented a sensible centre when on climate policy they were well to the left of both major parties and closer to the Greens. Adoption of the climate targets that Climate 200 support would require major economic adjustments with real implications for consumption. Dunlop echoes Holmes Accord when he likens the independence to quote an empowered middle, but a few pages later he claims there is no sensible centre on a dead planet. His is the more ambitious book, and is most interesting in its discussion of the limits the new government faces in seeking to undo many of the assumptions of Howard's Australia. Dunlop points to a new mindset resulting from several decades of neoliberal policies in which, quote, we were less citizens and more customers. This demanded a different mindset just to survive, a more individualistic, if not selfish, self-understanding. Scott Morrison's ability to undermine Bill Shorten's modest proposals for minor changes in taxation showed just how potent individual greed had become and explains Anthony Albanese's commitment to maintaining the Morrison government's Stage 3 tax cuts in 2024. Dunlop sees the corrosive effects of neoliberalism, but his commitment to the Teals means that he skates over their reluctance to tackle growing inequality. 
Nowhere in any of these books is there a discussion of homelessness or of the inadequacy of job seeker, which even John Howard has described as inadequate. Thus Dunlop can deplore the effective bipartisanship on economic policies without acknowledging that this is largely shared by the Teals, who, unlike the Greens, have not prioritised policies that would reverse the swag of tax concessions available to the wealthiest Australians. He does suggest that the Victorian Teals are more economically radical than their New South Wales counterpart, which seems accurate. Zoe Daniel, the member for Goldstein, likes to quote Vader Goldstein that, quote, study has convinced me that party government is a system that is entirely out of date. It is cumbersome, unbusinesslike method of running the country. This may sound good on the hustings, but it hardly stands up to examination. Democratic government requires the creation of a team that can work together to carry out policies in which it has been elected. Parliament of Independence would struggle to establish any form of effective government. Both Dunlop and Saville believe in the need to make politics more participatory and accountable, and they are right to see the growth of support for independence as a sign that many people share this desire. But there is an alternative strategy, one that would involve the people whom they describe joining the major parties and changing them from within. One might ask what happened to Bill Shorten's plan to increase ALP membership to 100,000. Sadly, it is right-wing, often fundamentalist groups that have adopted this tactic and seem to have won control of most state branches of the Liberal Party. The first test of how far the old party system is being shaken came in the Victorian state elections in November. After a dispiriting campaign, notable for its negative advertising and blatant pork-barrelling, Labour did remarkably well, even while losing votes in both the inner city and the outer western suburbs. The Liberals continued their slide towards oblivion, in part because of lingering dislike of the Federal Party and its apparent move to the right. The overthrow of Malcolm Turnbull had demonstrated the new balance of power within the Liberal Party and led to a government that was increasingly disconnected from most Australians. Voters knew that in electing Teals, they were also voting to replace the Morrison government with a Labour one. Some of the drop in Labour's vote was in fact a tactical decision by Labour voters to support the Teals. Unless the Liberal Party can reposition itself as mainstream and abandon its flirtation with fringe right-wingers and religious fundamentalists, it is unlikely to win back the increasing number of once safe seats now held by independents. Were the Liberal Party really bent on winning office again, they would invite Zali Stegel, the most experienced of the Teals, to join them as leader and seriously aim at recapturing the wealthy inner cities. Were some of their right wing to defect, they could join the Nationals in a major realignment of Australian party politics. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review Podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.